are jumping into a brand new series today and a new season in this whole thing, in this whole talk about Code of Kings. And I want to unveil our first code to you. And these are essential core values that we believe God is planting deep within us that are going to bring forth fruit in the years to come. And so we're trying to identify what our core system of beliefs are. And today we're beginning at the foundational level. This one is number one, and it's number one for a reason. It is the very core element in which everything else exists. And so I want to read it to you, and I want to read it out together, and then we're going to jump in and we're going to break it down here in Revelation chapter 1. I hope you want to study the Bible a little bit today. Is that okay? We're just going to, we're going to stay in Revelation chapter 1. We're going to do those four verses, but I believe that there's something in there for you that God wants to say. But this first core value, this first code goes like this. Each one has a word picture and then an explanatory statement. And these might not seem like much to you. I I, I can assure you there is much prayer, thought, time, energy, and wordsmithing involved. Wordsmithing is a word, by the way. No? Okay. Wordsmithing. There's much of that involved in these codes. But here it is, the first one. We'll have it up on the screen. And this is it. For king and kingdom. Our first value here at King's Church is we exist for the king and for his kingdom, and we qualify it this way. We surrender our whole lives in a total allegiance to King Jesus and the advancement of his kingdom. Can I get an amen? Do I need to preach this? I got to preach this. I'm pretty sure. We surrender our whole lives in total allegiance to King Jesus and the advancement of his kingdom. Can you say that out loud with me? I'll read it with you. We surrender our whole lives in total allegiance to King Jesus and the advancement of his kingdom. This is an essential message. Basically, we're saying this, that Jesus is our sovereign, undisputed, unrivaled, unchallenged king. Jesus is. And we surrender our whole lives and our full allegiance to him and him alone. Now that's a great statement on paper. That's a significant statement as it applies to our lives, is it not? Jesus is our king. Now why would we start here? Why are we even using this language like kings and kingdoms? Well, that's not necessarily language that you and I use every day. We live in a, in a democracy. We don't often think of the monarchy. We don't think of very, in fact, we don't even have a king. We have a queen. I, is there a king? There might be, I don't know. But there's going to be a king, I think, next. But we don't generally think on those terms, do we? We don't think about who's my king and, and I fall under their rule because that's not really part of our day-to-day life. However, I want to suggest to you that as the Bible describes kings, kings are essentially those who hold power over a state. Not just the Bible, but your dictionary will say that. If you look up king in the dictionary, it will say one who holds ultimate power over a state or a region or over a place. That's what a king is. So in a very real way, there are kings all through this world, are there not? There are kings everywhere, people who have power, individuals who have power. In a very real sense, you're a king. There are certain regions and domains and states by which you are the ultimate authority. Maybe it's your home. Well, maybe some parents would say, actually, I've lost all control of my home. Um, my kids are the king and queen. That's just, it's, it's, it's a problem. No, but there are, there are places and realities in your world where you, the kings and powers are real. 
And the kingdom, a kingdom is essentially just the expanse of the power of that king. It's where their unrivaled will goes. That's what a kingdom is. A king is someone who has power and authority over a state. Their kingdom is the reach and expanse of that, that state. Now, I want to suggest to you that we live under the reality of many kings and many kingdoms. We live in a world full of kings and kingdoms. That's why I think that still probably one of the primary storylines that Hollywood and books are pumping out is still about powers and kings and kingdoms. That's, that's because at the core of our being, we know there are epic cosmic power struggles happening in and all around us every day, wherever we go. So this is a really pertinent conversation, I believe, for us to have. And it's essential that we land here crowning who our king will be. This for us is essentially a reality check. This is the first value because at the end of the day and the beginning of the day, we need to be sure that everything we do is for King Jesus, it's for his glory and for the advancement of his kingdom. So we put this at number one because we want to, it to be a constant reality check. You ever have a reality check? Like you were going about your business and you lost sight of some type of reality and then boom, it came in upon you. I'll give you an example. Uh, a few years ago, we were driving, my wife, my wife and I and my two kids at the time were driving from Fredericton to St. John. We'd spent the weekend at my family's house, uh, and I don't know about you, but I am someone who does not sleep well if I'm not in my own bed. Anyone? You know what I'm saying? And so I'm home at my parents' house and didn't sleep that night, and we're driving home from Fredericton to St. John, and I have driven that road hundreds and hundreds of times in my lifetime, uh, driving to our cottage in St. John my whole life. And so that road's so familiar to me. Uh, I'm someone who sleeps with a fan, so the drone of a car is a dangerous thing. And so we're, we're, we're driving home. We're all exhausted. My wife and my two kids, they, they fall asleep, leaving me alone to navigate my own fatigue, right? Like, where's my wingman? My, my wife's just sawing logs. And we're, we're she, she doesn't snore. She's, she's beautiful. She's just... But uh, we're driving from Fredericton to St. John, and we get to about Wellsford, and my eyes start getting heavy. And this is the only time in my life to date where I have fallen asleep at the wheel, and my eyes closed, and I felt the car go off the on the shoulder, and as, as soon as it did, I guess by the grace of God, I woke up in time, and I pulled it back onto the road. And I'll tell you something, I was wide awake after that. Ever have a reality check? Like, I, I, it's, it's crazy to me how, especially driving, it's a great example, you can lose sight of the greater reality. Like, I was so comfortable in my surroundings, so familiar with the road, so used to driving, I was completely just delusional and unaware of the greater reality that I had my beautiful wife and my two priceless children in the back that I actually was so lulled to sleep and so comfortable with my surroundings that I actually started to doze off. And it wasn't until I had that reality check moment that brought me back to life and I was awake. You ever have a moment like that? Like maybe it wasn't driving, maybe for you, you know, you were going about your life and it was your day-to-day -day business and it was, you know, calendars and bills and school and job and all those things and then all of a sudden you had that doctor appointment and they gave you that piece of news and everything changed and bam, you were just all of a sudden in tune to a much larger pressing reality. All those things that were in front of you that seemed so important were now not that important. It's amazing how fast that happens, isn't it? 
You go through a loss as a family, you lose a loved one, and all of a sudden those things that were just right up in your space, this greater reality of life and death presses in, and you have this reality check moment. We know what those feel like, don't we? And I'll tell you why, because we are so prone in our lives, just like driving down a familiar road, we are so prone to get lulled to sleep, to get dazed and confused, to get distracted and dizzy, to get droned to sleep, that we often have these moments, these jolts that wake us up. Sometimes they're traumatic and they force themselves on us. Sometimes it comes through a a doctor's appointment or through that conversation or, or maybe through a funeral where you're just all of a sudden aware of a much greater reality. Sometimes they're sweet. They're not always traumatic. Sometimes they sneak up from within you. Last weekend, I found myself, I was in my grandparents' garage. My grandfather passed away a few years ago, and I was in the garage looking for some fishing gear. And uh, I, was, I was rummaging through his stuff, and I went in the garage, and they haven't touched anything. I mean, it's a shrine to my grandfather. And there's the, his, his little radio still sitting on his workbench. It's still playing gospel music. They haven't shut it off in years, and it's still playing on that same channel. I walk in, and I'll tell you, it's like a time warp. And I felt not only very connected to my grandfather's memory, but in that moment last weekend, I felt very connected to a greater reality that my grandfather died a believer. And the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with Christ. And so for for a moment there, it snuck upon me that where, where I had this realization, this reality check, that there's a greater reality that my grandfather is very much alive right now. And I felt the reality of heaven and earth. And I felt the reality of life and death close in upon me. We have these moments, don't we, in our lives where reality kind of presses in upon us and they're gifts, aren't they? I mean, it's painful a lot of the time, but they're gifts when you have these reality check moments because our lives are so full and so constant and so consistent and so they can be so monotonous and so familiar that it's so easy to fall asleep at the wheel. And so we place this reminder here, this statement that we exist And we have surrendered our whole lives to King Jesus. We live for him. We place that there because it's so easy to lose sight of that, isn't it? Because we live in a world where there are kings and powers and realities that are constantly rising up against us to challenge that statement. I suspect that in your life there is no more challenged statement than this, Jesus is king. Because sometimes you look at your bank account and you would say, no, debt is king. Or sometimes you would look at your marriage and you would say, no, dysfunction and, and trauma and, and difficulty is king. Or sometimes you would look at your children and you'd say, no, unpredictability and being out of control is king. Or you would look at this relationship or that scenario or this circumstance and so many things in our world rise up to challenge that statement that Christ is king. Well, this was the scenario in Revelation chapter 1. This is the backdrop and the context that we find John writing to some real Christians in a real time. Revelation is a book that is often very misunderstood and it's very confusing. It's a type of literature that none of us use anymore. It's called apocalyptic literature. It's prophetic. It speaks of what will come. It speaks of what is and it speaks of what has already happened. It's really hard for us to wrap our head around. So a lot of the time we miss the very now message that the book of Revelation has. When Revelation was originally written, it was written as a vision. Jesus himself appeared to John the apostle. John was the one Jesus loved. He is excellent on this island called Patmos. The Romans tried to get John, who was the final surviving apostle, they tried to get John out of relationship with the rest of the church because the church was a problem. And so they exiled him to Patmos. They tried to kill him. Actually, Christian, Christian tradition says that they boiled John alive, and he lived. 
because God wasn't done with him. How many of you know if you give your life to God that he decides when you come and go? Absolutely. And so they ex- exile John on Patmos, and there he is, and he has this vision from Jesus, and Jesus gives him a word, a revelation to write down and send to the churches. This was a now message for the churches. The word revelation essentially translates as the unveiling that God had something to show the first Christians, to unveil, to reveal. That's what Revelation is all about. Now, what was the backdrop of this? Well, we know that the book of Revelation was written about 95, 96 AD. And at that time, there was an emperor named Domitian. Domitian was the superpower of the world. He was the Roman emperor. And he, unlike his predecessors, he not only persecuted Christians, but he actually took persecution well beyond Rome. Nero was the first to do it, and he concentrated mostly on the Christians in the Rome area. But Domitian had such a hatred and such a complex when it came to Christianity that he took his persecution to the expanse of the Roman Empire. And so all of these Christians are now facing vicious, vicious persecution. If you Google it, be prepared to not even understand what you're reading, the things that were happening to these men and women. Like, just put yourself in their shoes. All they did was say that Jesus is king, and now their families are being torn apart. People are being killed, executed in the most horrible ways that I don't even want to get into today. Like, it was a significant backdrop in which this letter was written. And now, there, it, even, there, it was so pressing that not only were they threatened for their lives, but even if you were a businessman in that day and you served Jesus, there were certain parts of the region where you had to take a mark to declare your allegiance to King Caesar, to King Domitian, in order to buy and sell. So at every turn, for a Christian in this time, there were powers and kings that were challenging their assertion that Jesus is king. That's the backdrop of this message. The backdrop of this message comes at just the time where all of these powers are right up in the face of all these Christians. And now you and I don't know what it's like to be persecuted like that, thank God. However, we do know what it feels like to have powers and authorities and rulers and quote-unquote kings set themselves up in front of us and try to challenge the assertion that Jesus is king. Don't we know what that feels like? Some of you are going through cancer treatment right now, and every time, every time you're reminded that you have cancer, that assertion gets challenged, doesn't it? Every time that that prayer that you've been praying all the time, you know what, Lord, would you bring my son, would you bring my daughter back to, back to you? Would, you? would you help them get out of this season? Every time you pray that prayer and every day that goes by, that assertion is challenged, isn't it? Every time you pray for a financial breakthrough and you know, you've been stewarding your money right, you've been tithing, you've been doing all those right things and you're just waiting for it to click into gear and every day that goes by that that doesn't happen, that, that assertion gets challenged. You know what that feels like for kings to rise up and say, no, Jesus is not king, debt is king. Jesus is not king, cancer is king. Jesus is not king, death is king. We know exactly how that feels and this is the backdrop in which Revelation is written. And so in the introductory statements, and here's a pro tip for you guys who are reading the Bible. When you read the Bible, don't skip over those introductions because in them, they are so loaded. Those first few verses, oftentimes the writer, who is the Holy Spirit through some individual, is loading the gun and it's the most mic drop moment there is. So make sure you, you hone in. I'll, I just want to read those first four verses of Revelation. I want to show you what John says. And I believe this is the ultimate reality check for these first Christians. And I hope it's a reality check for us today. And he says this. If you have a Bible, go to verse 4 in Revelation 1. 
says, John to the seven churches in the province of Asia. Now, when it says seven churches, the number seven, we've talked about this before, numbers are significant in the Bible. And number seven, actually, it, it, it's more than just a number value. It communicates it's a symbol. And seven means complete. It means all. And so, actually, many, many scholars believe that this is a letter to all the church. However, there are seven churches Jesus goes on later to identify. But it says, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come. That's God the Father. And then it says, and from the seven spirits before his throne. What's the seven spirits? Again, this is strange language, isn't it? Seven is complete, the complete, the full spirit. This is talking about the Holy Spirit. So God the Father, the Holy Spirit. And now watch where John goes. And here is the first reality check you're going to see. He says, and, verse 5, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. That's, a, that's one of these. Like if John was up here with, with a handheld mic, he'd do the mic drop. I'm out. Like that's, that's what he's saying. He's like, this is a huge statement. Now put yourself in the shoes of the people who got this. This, this probably came through some secret mail. Many believe that, that this was written, apocalyptic literature, that it was written in code so that it could actually pass through the Romans, that they wouldn't know what John was saying, that they would read it and say, this guy's crazy, and he'd let it go to the church. But can you imagine that statement when the first Christians who were probably gathered underground for fear of their own lives, at risk of their own lives and their children's lives, and they open that up, and everything, everywhere they go, they go to the marketplace, they go to work, they go out, every conversation they have, Domitian is king, is in their face. And they open that up and Jesus says, greetings from, Je or John says, greetings from Jesus Christ, who is the ruler of the kings of the earth. First reality check, he says right off the bat is this, that Jesus is the king of kings that Jesus is king, that he is the greater king. That, like John is essentially saying in that first statement, he said, I know there are great kings, you, all, you guys. I know. I know that you're facing life and death, and you're facing persecution, and you're facing fear for your, ki your kids' well-being. I know you have great worries and great fears and great anxieties and great pressures and great stresses, but I need to tell you today, I need to check your reality. Don't be duped into the idea that these kings that are right in front of you and pressing up against you are greater. There is one who is greater, his name is Jesus. He is the greater king. He's higher. He's stronger. And in fact, the kings of the earth, he rules over them. What a statement. He is the faithful witness, the ruler of the kings of the earth. Now, there's a lot of stuff loaded in that statement. When it says he's the faithful witness, what's he talking about? Well, that was common Roman language at the time. In fact, the Caesars often had people who were hired or established as witnesses. People who would go before the Caesar and actually witness to his greatness. They would say things like, Hail Caesar, who is the King of Kings. They would say things like, There is no name on hev in heaven or on earth by which man can be saved but that of Caesar. They would say these things, these quote-unquote witnesses. And so John says, no, remember King Jesus, who is the faithful witness. He didn't need to hire people to go out and tell you that he is the king of kings. He did it himself. Do you remember when he came? John was the guy who wrote, we beheld his glory. We saw him full of grace and truth. We saw him with our own eyes. I saw his authority when he taught. I saw the smartest minds in the world gather up around him and try to trap him. And I saw him just 
mental judo them and they didn't even know what hit them. You ever see that? You ever read those times where they try to trap Jesus and Jesus just owns them? Why? Because he's the faithful witness. Because he has all authority. He has all knowledge. John says, you remember that time like where Jesus showed us that he's the faithful witness, that he's the king of kings, that he's the son of God, when he was, he was walking on water? You remember that? He, he formed molecules under his feet in order to walk himself out to the storm in which we were in a boat where Jesus showed us he's the faithful witness. He didn't need anybody testifying to him. He testified to himself. He said, I am the king. I am the king of the elements. I am king of knowledge. I am king of wisdom. I am king, of, I am king over sickness. Do you remember that when Jesus touched people? People who were incurable, people who were hopelessly ill and lame, people who had leprosy, people who couldn't walk. Jesus showed he had full authority over them. He would say, get up, take your mat and walk. He, would, he didn't even have to touch them. He could just say, go, your faith has healed you. Do you remember Jesus is the faithful witness? Do you remember, John would say, when we, when we four days, four days Lazarus was dead. And we saw him. You know what? He didn't hire anybody to perform a trick. There was no magic in it. He just walked up to the tomb. He said, roll that stone away. And he said, Lazarus, come forth. And the dead man got up. He's the faithful witness. Jesus is king. I don't know what power is up in front of you. You know, first church, John to the seven churches. I don't know what power has got you convinced that they're faithful, that they're true, that they're all powerful. You need to know. I need to check your reality that there is no one on heaven, in heaven or on earth that is as powerful and great and mighty and matchless as Jesus. Jesus is king. What an assertion. He's the faithful witness. He's the firstborn of the dead. He's so king that he gave himself to death. Colossians 2 said that he made a spectacle of the rulers and authorities of this world by disarming them, by being nailed to a cross, that he took their worst. He took the worst that Rome had. He took the worst that religion had. He took the worst that the devil had. He took it all upon himself. He died a sinner's death, but he is the firstborn of the dead. What's that mean? It means he's the resurrected one. It means to date, John would say, to date I have not seen a Caesar who claims to be God, who claims to be the king of kings. I've seen them all die. I didn't see them get back up. But my king, he died and he rose again in victory above death. He holds the keys to death and hell. There is one king in heaven and earth and his name is Jesus. The firstborn of the dead. Colossians 1 says he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He's God. He existed before anything was created and he's supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made things we can see and things we can't see, such as thrones and kingdoms and rulers and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him, it belongs to him. He existed before anything else and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church. That's why our first priority is for king and kingdom. 
which is his body, he is the beginning. He is supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. Church, I need to press in on this. You need to know this and remind yourself of this. I don't know what king has risen up against you today, but there is a king who is greater. His name is Jesus. He is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. He's the bread of life. He is the author of life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the king of kings and lord of lords. There is no one like him. He is risen. He is victorious. Jesus is king. Jesus is king. Fear is not. Jesus is king. Failure is not. Jesus is king. Despair is not. Jesus is king. Depression is not. Jesus is king. Addiction is not. Jesus is king. Hopelessness is not. Rattle it through your mind and your heart. Check your reality and remind yourself that no matter what I face, no matter what is in front of me, there is one who is greater and his name is Jesus and in him I trust. Watch what John says next. This, this part blows my mind. Because if you, if you think about it for a second, like John is just trying to unveil, again, Revelation, he's trying to unveil for you just the greatness of Jesus. Do you know that if Jesus never did a thing for us, if you saw him and you had a revelation of just how marvelous he is, like the Bible says, later it says in Revelation, John got a vision of the throne. And it says that he is forever praised by these glorious beings, that Jesus himself is being praised forever. No one's getting bored. No one's being defiant. They're just mesmerized and consumed by the glory of King Jesus. And did you know that if you saw him like that, even if he did nothing for you, even if he gave you no reason to worship him other than his majesty, you would be rendered just to complete, utter worship. You would worship him forever, whether he did anything for you or not. But watch what, watch what he says next. He says how worthy and amazing. He is the king, the ruler of the earth. And then he says this, to him who loves us. Whoa. Wait, he's not just the king of kings, but he loves us? To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. And he's made us a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Here's the second reality check. Like as if this doesn't, he's already beaten Domitian, right? Like for these first Christians, he's already said, listen, I know Domitian is right up in your space. You need to know Jesus is stronger than Domitian. But here's another reason I want to check your reality. It's not just that Jesus is the king of kings, but Jesus is love. He's life and he's freedom. That he's not just a greater king, but get this, he's a better king. Jesus is better at being your king. He is a better king than Domitian. He is a better king than success. He is a better king than riches. He's a better king than power or whatever else you go to for your source. John says he's the king who loves us. What kind of king loves his subjects? You ever think of that? Like sometimes, you know, we misunderstand God's grace and we think that it's cheap or we think that it means that we're on par with Jesus. No, that's not what it means. It means that this unfathomable, matchless, mighty, holy, infinite God loves you. How crazy is that? 
What kind of king loves his subjects? What kind of king would actually leave his throne? Philippians 2 says, like I said earlier, that that he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. You know what? The kings of this earth, they don't go bring themselves lower, do they? The kings and the powers of this earth, they try to rise higher and higher. But our king, he did it the opposite. He was the upside down king. He was the king that left heaven. He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he humbled himself by becoming a man, by putting on flesh, by living a life of a human and demonstrating for us what it looks like to live in victory. And he humbled himself to death, even death on our cross. That's our king. My king is one who goes before me. My king is one who looked at me and saw me, my miserable estate, and he said, I love that boy. Like, wouldn't you be blown away if you were at McDonald's and Barack Obama picked up your tab? It would be. Like, whoa, Obama kicked me five bucks. Wow. I want to just check your reality for a second. The king of kings paid your full eternal debt by offering his life. He lived the life you could not live. He died the death we should have died and defeated the enemy we could never defeat. That's why we sing amazing grace. Because to us, this isn't just some superficial transaction. This is that my king died for me. My king loves me. Can you imagine that? Let that register. You're you're the king of the universe. The one who holds the cosmos in his hands. The one who commands the seas. The one that said, Mount Everest, you're going to stop here. And Bay of Fundy, you're going to be the most powerful tides. And I'm going to make sure every day you come in and out. And I'm going to do this crazy thing with those falls that push them back. He's that king. That king died for you. That's why John says, need need I remind you, I I don't know what Domitian might be offering you. I don't know what the powers of this world might be offering you. I don't know what surrendering to fear might be offering you or surrendering to addiction might be offering you or surrendering to that substance or surrendering to your own agenda. But I need to remind you, there is no king like King Jesus. He is better. There's no king like him. He is the bread of life that satisfies. He is the king that so loved the world. Jesus is the better king. Jesus is love and life and freedom. Look what he says. I'm going to keep moving. Are you awake? He says, this king who loves us and has freed us and washed us by his blood, that he's actually, Jesus doesn't just pay our debt, but he raises us to life. I got to press on this because maybe some of you are here for the first time ever, or maybe you're here for the first time in a while. You need to know this. Christianity, following Jesus, isn't about making bad people good. If you're here to improve your life, that's, that's the wrong, wrong idea. Christianity isn't about making bad people good. It's about bringing dead people to life. And Jesus is the resurrected king. And he's the king who actually brings life where there was no life. He brings freedom where there was bondage. He frees you. He sets you apart. He calls you to great purpose. Do you know that Jesus has a purpose for your life? 
Some of you run from job to job to job trying to find some meaning and you don't understand that Jesus wants to bring meaning right where you're at. There is purpose and life and freedom in Jesus. He has set us apart. He's made us to be a kingdom of priests to serve God. Now, this, this, this is a contrary, this is a difficult thing to, to hear. Because we are essentially saying that life is found in losing your life. This is where one has to decide, okay, I know that cancer is not a good king. I know that fear is not a good king. But you haven't fully decided yet whether or not you're a good king. But Jesus essentially invites you to say, if you are ready for the better king, you have to lay your crown down, pick up your cross, and follow me. That's the invitation. And it's this great exchange where Jesus says, if you lay your life down, I will give you life where you had no life. If all of me for all of you. Look at how he says it in Matthew 16. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? What can anyone give in exchange for their soul? You can't buy it. You can't earn it. You can't find it. For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. See, Jesus says this is this great exchange. You surrender all of yourself to me, and I give you all of myself to you. That's what the gospel is. So John is saying, listen, remember, Jesus is the better king. There is incentive. I, I, I once heard uh, one of my favorite Christian thinkers and authors, he's since passed away a couple years ago, and a guy named Dallas Willard. And there was, he was just a simple man who just had profound impact on the kingdom. And I remember him once saying, I, I listened to an interview, and I saw this, he was probably in his 70s at that time, and I saw him just tear up when he looked at the crowd of pastors, and he said, if you only knew what God had for you, if you only understood what God desired for you, the joys and the riches of the kingdom of God, if you only knew it, you would forsake everything. You would leave it all behind. And then someone raised their hand. And they said, Dallas, what would you say to someone who said, I've found a better way than Jesus? And Dallas looked back at them and he said, you know what Jesus would say? He said, if you can find a better way, take it. Because there isn't one. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That substance can't bring you life. You getting your way can't bring you life. Everything going how you planned it can't bring you life. Jesus brings life. He's the better king. Let's wrap up. It says in verse seven, so reality check number one, if you're tracking with me, and we're gonna land the plane quick. It says, Jesus is the king. Jesus is love. He's the better king. He's the greater king. And now finally look what he says. And this, this kind of hits them right at home. I think this is such a, for them, a refreshing thing. It's either refreshing or jarring. But verse 7 says this, look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. 
all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him, so shall it be, amen. And then Jesus himself says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come. Here's the final reality check, and it is this, that Jesus is Lord. That he isn't just the King of kings, He is Lord of all. He isn't just the greater king. He's not just the better king, but you need to make a decision. Jesus is an exclusive king. He is the king that will not share his glory. And I love how how John just presses in. You you gotta gotta put yourself in the shoes of these first Christians. They read that. You know, Domitian's right up in their face. Persecution's right up in their face. Just the pressures of being a family and all those things that come with it, right up in their face. And he says, look, look past those things. Look to the clouds. Jesus is coming again. Our king is returning. He is not just some loose philosophy. He's not, you know, trying mental gymnastics. He's not self-help. He is a coming king, and he is coming, and he will be worshipped. It says everyone will worship him. Everyone will see him, even those who pierced him. That those who have been against Jesus will bow. Philippians 2 goes on and says that Jesus was given the name that is above all names and every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. There is coming a day where the most vehement opponents to Jesus, the great leading atheist thinkers, people who just could care less about Jesus, the great powers of this world, Kim Jong-un and Barack Obama and, and Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump and King James and all the great powers of this world will bow their knee and say, there is one Lord and his name is Jesus. No one will contend that. No one will dispute that. No one will say, yeah, but I'm kind of king too. It will just be, there is one king, his name is Jesus, and there is no one beside him. He has no rival. There is no one like him. He is king and he is Lord. Now watch this, watch this. It says, the peoples on the earth will mourn. Jesus said it like this. He's, John is actually quoting Jesus. Jesus said in Matthew 24, at the time when the Son of Man appears, All the tribes of earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds. What's Jesus talking about? If you read the end of Matthew, Jesus gets some serious, like just some heavy stuff he's saying. Why? Because he loves us enough to not mess around. He says, when I return, he said in Matthew 25, the next chapter, he says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, I will sit on a throne of glory and all the nations will be gathered before me, and I will separate them as a shepherd separates sheep from goats, wheat from tares. And you were either for me or against me. See, when Jesus returns, you, you will have already made your choice as to who your Lord is. This is significant. I love how John just presses it in on these first Christians and says, I know Domitian is terrifying. I know the fear of death is serious, but you need to know there is a greater king and he is coming. Do not mistake his absence for the fact that he is not returning. He is coming again. You gotta keep that right front and center that I live and I bow only to Jesus. Because sometimes it's hard when there's one king right in front of you that says bow down and there's another king who's coming who's greater. He says, you only bow to Jesus. 
Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. What's he talking about? It's the A and the Z. I am the all king. There is no one in between. I am the beginning and the end. I will not share my glory. Jesus will not share his glory. There will be one king. And the revelation goes on later. We don't have time to get into it. But there will be one king that is forever worshipped. Forever we will worship Jesus and him alone. A.W. Tozer, one of my favorite old preachers, is quoted saying, you know, Jesus is either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. Like you have to make a all-in decision as to who your Lord is. Is it Jesus or is it you? Is it Jesus or is it control? Is it Jesus or is it anxiety? Is it Jesus or is it Domitian? Is it Jesus or is it money? Who is your Lord? What is your Lord? Jesus will not share that title. He will sit on the throne. And there is coming a day where all the kings of the earth will bow their knee to him. And so what's John saying here at the end of our text? He's saying, choose wisely who you will serve this day. Remember, Jesus is greater, but he's also better, and he is coming. And you may taste death before that happens, but you will know in the end there was one king, and you will be glad you chose Jesus. Choose who you will serve wisely. John's saying, do not compromise, Domitian. Do not bow down. Do not bow down to fear. Do not bow down to self. Do not bow down to status. Don't bow down to self-preservation. Don't bow down to getting ahead. Don't bow down to choose, you know, choose wisely who your king is. There is one king, one Lord, one salvation, one life, one who holds eternal life. There is one freedom, and his name is Jesus. This is why we begin with for king and kingdom. Because we start here because the pressure to miss this reality is profound, isn't it? Everywhere you go, the minute you leave here today, the minute you leave, this assertion is going to be challenged. Whether it's doubt that surfaces or some other worldview that comes on TV or you hear it on the radio, as soon as you leave, this assertion is challenged. That's why we got to keep coming back to saying, who is my king? Who is my Lord? What is his reality? What is the kingdom I live in? Who will I serve today? This is why we as a church choose every day, every day this is a daily decision to surrender our whole lives in total allegiance to King Jesus and the advancement of his kingdom. We are King's Church, a people who choose to place Jesus on the throne and nothing else. We are Jesus worshipers. He is our King He is our exclusive Lord. We are his subjects and we find life in doing his will. Amen? We are allegiant to Jesus and only Jesus. We aren't allegiant to a political party. I'm not conservative. I'm not liberal. I'm Christian. We aren't aren't allegiant to a country. I'm not Canadian. I'm not American. I'm not North American. I'm thankful that I live here in Canada, but my nationality is from heaven. I belong to a greater nation, the nation of Jesus. You gotta get that in your head. I have one allegiance. It is to Jesus and his kingdom. I am heavenly minded. I live my life under the reality of his lordship and none other. It is all-out surrender, and it is a daily act of defiance. We worship Jesus. That is why we gather here together every week to remind ourselves there is one king 
whom I will serve. There is one king who has my name written in the Lamb's book of life. His name is Jesus. We enthrone Jesus with our whole lives, amen? We enthrone him with our time. We enthrone him with our money. We enthrone him with our talent. We enthrone him with our resources. We enthrone him in our conversations. We enthrone him in how we carry ourselves. Everything we do enthrones Jesus. May our lives, Lord, may my life declare the greatness of the reality of King Jesus. I pray that every conversation I have says Jesus is Lord. I pray that our church, it declares one thing, not that King's church is great, or oh, Brendan Gersall, or that worship team. I pray that people far and wide hear about Jesus because of King's church. May we not get an ounce of glory. I'm not just trying to rant. I, I don't want people to say, wow, did you check out that church? I want people to say, wow, did you hear about Jesus? I found Jesus when I went to that church. Oh, wow, those people are so great. No, 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 their God is great. Jesus is great. We exist for king and kingdom. We have surrendered our whole lives to King Jesus, and it's a daily act of defiance. It's a daily decision. Christian tradition holds that before the disciples left Jerusalem, after the day of Pentecost. For those of you who don't know what that is, Pentecost was the day the Holy Spirit came upon the church and the church began. And Christian tradition holds that before they left, they compiled this statement of faith we now know as the Apostles' Creed. And the Apostles' Creed, for us, it just seems like this nice old document that declares our foundational statements of faith. But you gotta understand, when this first started surfacing, it was going around to real Christians in a real day where they were risking life and limb in order to say they believe what they believe. Like the cost was high for them to, to, to subscribe to King Jesus. This meant risking their entire life. But this creed got circulating, and it's still with us today. And for hundreds of years, Christians in different parts of the world and in different times and seasons have gathered around this essential belief that I believe in Jesus. And I will every day defy the kings that stand up against that claim. I don't care whether it's Domitian or Nero or fear or cancer or anxiety or death itself. I don't care what it is. I believe in Jesus. And it's a daily assertion. Every day, it's a daily battle that we live for king and kingdom. Would you stand with me? I want to read this together. This is the Apostles' Creed. This is a statement of faith that we choose this day whom we believe and who we serve. Joshua, at the end of the book of Joshua, he gathers all the leaders together and he says, choose this day who, who you will serve. You have a choice. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The Apostles' Creed says, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, Born of the Virgin Mary, he suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven, is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, and from there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. We make a daily decision as to who we will serve. 
we defy all the other kings and we put them in their place because they too will bow their knee at the name of Jesus. I wanna pray and I wanna invite you. I've just been so checked this week by how many small K kings in my life challenged my faith. And I wanna invite you as we bow our heads and close our eyes, I wanna invite you maybe to lift your hands and surrender to Jesus as we pray. And maybe there is a king that you ha- it has a name and you know who he is or who- what it is. And maybe there's a king that you need to say, I defy it today and I surrender to Jesus. Whether that's fear or sickness or illness or despair or depression, whatever it is, today surrender to Jesus. Choose who you will serve this day. Jesus, we praise you today. We crown you king of our lives. We surrender our whole lives in allegiance to King Jesus. We, we defy all the false gods of this world. We look them in the eye and we say, you are not my king, fear. You are not my king, money. You are not my king, fame. You are not my king, getting ahead. You are not my king, cancer. Jesus is my king. And Jesus, today we surrender to you. We declare that you are the king of kings. You are the Lord of lords. That you are present and real. And that you are coming again. And that you will judge the living and the dead. That you are the resurrection and the life. You are the way. You are the truth. You are are everything to us. So God, today, We bow ourselves before you. We offer our lives to you. We surrender everything to you. Lord, have our whole lives, have it all. Have our money, have our time, have our our energy, have our talents, have our families. Lord, we surrender everything to you because we trust you are the one who has the power to save. You are the one that has the power of life. You are the one who has purpose for us. You are the king who actually loves us. And so God, today we surrender everything we have to you and we crown you king of everything in Jesus' mighty name, and everybody said.